CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. What's going on? Welcome to Canal and Bell. It is Canal and Company today as Raja has split town early to spend some time with the family, as a lot of people do. Like, this is such a great week because it's short, right? You only have a three-day work week for some. For some people, it's a two-day or even now I see schools just blowing off the whole week, which good for you for doing it. But it's one of the best weeks of the year because you have Thanksgiving, you get family, you get football, all of those things. Uh, so we're going to have a fun show. We're going to go through some picks, some college picks with Barrett Salee, who does an outstanding job for us right here at CBS Sports HQ. And he's been all over the country watching a lot of these teams play in person. So can't wait to get his uh, take there. We got Emery, our guy Emery, who joins us every single Thursday. We got him a day early, and he's going to help us break down the NFL, get some picks there as well. As I know it's early, but a little bit of a draft preview um, of some running backs. We're going to break down the running back position, one that uh, Emery knows really well in that spot. And then, of course, who else to talk NBA? If Raja's out, we'll get Joey there from the producer chair. We'll chime in on some of the uh, ongoings in the NBA as that is in full swing now as well. The, The College Football Playoff Selection Committee came out with their latest rankings last night, as they do every Tuesday here down the stretch. The only thing that was, I didn't think there would be much drama, and I did think there was a chance that you would see Ohio State leapfrog LSU. And as much as some people want to cry out foul and say, hey, well, what happened? They both won. I think it was a pretty simple move for the committee, and I don't believe in any conspiracies trying to avoid matchups. I just think it really boiled down to LSU played Arkansas, Ohio State played Penn State, who had a better chance to impress and improve their resume. And without question, it was Ohio State. Penn State is a better quality candidate. Now they both have three wins, so their resumes are equal across the board with three wins against top 25 currently ranked top 25 teams. So if they have the same resume, then you fall back on, all right, who's been the most impressive You know, who has exhibited the best game control to use a little bit of the college football selection committee vernacular. And it's been Ohio State. They have been dominant on both sides of the ball in almost every single game. And it's not to take away from what LSU has done. LSU is clearly deserving of being in that conversation, but they haven't been as dominant on the defensive side of the ball. And I would even take it a step further and say their defense could be a liability down the stretch. So not much drama there. I do think the Big 12 was a big winner on the night. As Baylor made a massive jump after beating Texas, going into the top 10, they move up to nine. Oklahoma's at seven. They move up two spots. I think the Pac-12 now really with their hopes only lying in Utah down the stretch could be in a little bit of trouble with the move that the Big 12 made there. So, all right, that's enough of me yabbing, you know, gabbing away here early in the show. Let's get it, our guy Barrett. You hear him laughing right there. Barrett Salee is going to join us now. Barrett, what was your, just before we get to some of the picks, your initial reaction? Are you on the same page with me? Like it wasn't that big of a shock that Ohio State jumped LSU? Do you think they were right in doing that? Or do you think there was anything else going on with that move? 
Yeah, I thought they were right. In fact, I had Ohio State number one on my CBS 130 ballot because, like you just said, uh, the the resume for Ohio State is getting better. And at the same time, the LSU resume is actually getting worse because Auburn lost and Texas is six and five. So this notion all year long that LSU has this incredible resume, that's kind of not true. Uh, at least it's not, it's becoming less important as the season goes on and then when you couple that with the fact that Ohio State has the best scoring offense the best scoring defense and it's just been unstoppable all year long uh, then yeah I'm fine with it I you know and and I think that is a big deal and, and I wrote this last night because if you're Ohio State or if you are you're LSU you really want that number one spot because then you get to avoid Clemson in the national semifinal and I would think we'd all agree that from spot three to spot four, whoever number four is, there's a really big difference. So, um, I, you know, it wasn't a surprise. I agree with Ohio State jumping up over LSU. I was really surprised in the what they call market correction, I guess, uh, with Baylor. Because now if you're Utah, you're sweating a little bit. Because one of the potential great wins that you have left on your schedule, the Oregon Pac-12 championship game, doesn't look that great anymore. And then if you're Baylor and if you're Oklahoma, you're looking at it going, huh, we might have a seven versus nine matchup in the Big 12 championship game. And on top of that, Oklahoma has a battle with uh, a top 25 Oklahoma State team this weekend. So yeah, the Big 12, certainly the big winner. Not surprised about Ohio State. And here's the thing, DK, you and I get into it a lot. You're ACC, I'm SEC, but Let's be honest, Alabama is just a placeholder right now. They need all kinds of shenanigans to get into this thing. I think so, too. I think you're right. Here's the one thing I think that could kind of throw a wrench in that. I think for all these teams down the stretch, it kind of matters how you look. So the proverbial eye test, because I do think, and here's the thing, I think we waste a lot of breath talking about hypotheticals that I don't think any, like maybe I don't believe is going to happen, right? But we like I, arguing. That's yes, what this yes, is all we do. about, right? I will say this. If Alabama goes to Auburn, and I, I don't think 59 nothing the way that Ohio State impressed against Wisconsin, I don't think that's even a, any, in any scenario, I don't see that happening. But I think a three-touchdown win against Auburn in Auburn with your backup quarterback is really, really impressive. And I don't think it happens, but if it does... I think Alabama could inject them back into that conversation. But then I also think for Oklahoma and Utah, it matters what they look like as well. So I think for those three teams in the five, six, and seven spot, Bama, Utah, and Oklahoma, I think it does matter how they look towards the finish, how impressive they are, which I don't like. I think winning is all that should matter. But if you've got three teams with one loss, two of them conference champions, and you start breaking them down and the resumes aren't that much different, I think it's going to matter how they look on the back end. And I think that could that could probably put Bama back in the conversation. I'm with you. Ultimately, I think the committee would do the right thing. And I don't think this is the Bama team that got in as a non-conference champ yeah. you know, a couple years ago and won it all. They're not as dominant. And they don't have their quarterback. And then they, I just don't think it's an, it's an easy decision. And I think the committee would lean on conference champions when they have the opportunity to do it as one of their four metrics that they would evaluate. All right. Let's move on to some of the games. Let's dive in deep to rivalry weekend. There's going to be some fascinating matchups. And I think you're going to, like, we really haven't seen that many shakeups lately. We saw Oregon, of course, get knocked up. That was a massive upset. Nobody saw that one coming. I do think you're going to see some teams getting tested, including Ohio State. 
Ohio State is a nine-point favorite going to Ann Arbor, playing against quietly was would have been, I think, one of the hottest teams in the country in Michigan. What you've looked at, what they've done since the second half of the Penn State game where they came just short of coming all the way back to win that game, but they have been dominant. They've been really good against good teams. I think Michigan gets it, keeps it close and covers the nine-point spread. Are you with me or are you saying Ohio State rolls? I think Ohio State rolls, and and a lot of it is because I just don't trust Jay Patterson. I know he ha- and you're right, he has been great uh, since the the halftime of the Penn State game, but he also hasn't faced Chase Young, and he also hasn't faced uh, this defense that Ohio State has this year. So uh, I- I'm with you in the sense that I think Michigan will keep this close for a little while, but when it all sa- when all is said and done, kind of like last week when Chase Young kind of took over. I don't trust Shea Patterson to stay smart with the football. And and if that's the case, then this to me feels like a game that might be a little slow, low scoring for a little while because, look, Michigan's defense is good, and I don't think Justin – like we saw last week, Justin Fields is human, and Ohio State's defense can be slowed down for a little bit. Um, so I think you're going to see something like that. But in the end, I just – I don't trust Shea Patterson. I know Donovan Peoples-Jones and that, that receiving core has been solid lately, but if you've got a face full of Chase Young – and you're a quarterback who, throughout the course of your career, has been remarkably average and significantly below average against good defenses, I still can't trust you based on a month of play. So uh, I do think it gets sideways late Ohio State covers. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I kind of I see how this game kind of going like Penn State, Ohio State did last week. You know, Ohio State looking good at times, and then Michigan's defense making a few plays and, you know, kind of getting you to the point where you're Lloyd Christmas and Dumb and Dumber thinking, so you're telling me there's a chance. But in the end... Ohio State shuts them down the opposite of what Mary Swanson, Swimson, Swanson, Samsonite did in Dumb and Dumb. <laughs> That's right. In this game, I if it'll be interesting to see what type of fight uh, Michigan puts up. Clearly, they'll come out ready to go. That place is going to be rocking. The place mm. is going to be bonkers. They're going to be there. If they get punched in the mouth the way they did last year and all of a sudden they look up and it's 21-3, I think it could get really (laughs) sideways. But I think the longer that Michigan stays in the game, the more pressure mounts on Ohio State. But Here's the thing that's crazy about this, and this is you're a regular season matters type of guy, right? I am. I hate to tell you, this game doesn't matter. Ohio State I agree. Lose, it doesn't matter. You know, matter. which which kind of sucks. Like that's and that's why I just like the regular season matters argument. I think this is a good example of when, yeah, this game doesn't matter. Here, I think Ohio State thing, can DK. still lose. Here's the thing, DK. We don't know. And this is I'm I'm a regular season matters kind of guy, there's no doubt. But I'm also the, the bigger thing that I am, am all about is that we don't know on a week to week basis. So right now you can say the regular season doesn't matter in this game, and you'd be right. What if Ohio State loses the Big Ten championship game? Mm, then this then game it, matters big time. But then the conference championship game doesn't matter. <laughs> they, like if they no, lost, no, it that does one. because Ohio State would have lost it. True. Uh, what's it? We're, uh, we're going. We're going. We're, we're going. No, 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 no. Here's no, no. Here's where it matters: is that Michigan could play themselves into a potential wild card spot if they won this game, where this game would matter that much more if there were eight teams. All right, we could do a whole. We need to save yeah, this for the summer. Right. We need to save this for the summertime. We have, you know, hours to fill and nothing to talk about. about. All, <laughs> all right. Let's uh so I was gonna ask you about Chase Young. If he has that type of performance, do you think it's a wrap that Joe Burrow because I think it's done. I think Joe Burrow has already etched his name on the trophy. I think it's a wrap. If Burrow struggles against Texas AM, which I don't think happens, if he struggles against Georgia, maybe they lose. Could Chase Young fight his way back in this conversation? 
No, uh, because he's a defensive player, and fair or not, he, he's just not going to get in. Uh, he's not going to win it because he's a defensive player. It's a quarterback-driven award. Um, I, I think Justin Fields is the one who has the best shot of those Ohio State players. But you're right. I mean, Joe Burrow has this thing on lock. Unless he gets hurt uh, or just at, throws 10 picks over the next two games, he's, he's going to win the Heisman Trophy. I think the problem for, for any competition against Joe Burrow is that – the two other likely players are Ohio State players, and they might split votes. So um, that's the biggest problem. Like, look, I'm a Heisman voter, and typically for uh, my number three spot, we get to vote for number three. I like to put a defensive guy in there. Two years ago, I had Roquan Smith in there as my number three player. So, you know, Chase Young, I think a lot of people are like that, where they do, uh, you do want to honor players that aren't quarterbacks, but in the end, the quarterback is the most important player on the field. If you don't have a good quarterback, you're probably not going to win a national championship or a conference championship. So, no, I don't think Chase Young has a chance to play himself back into a chance to win it. Um, but to get to New York, yeah, I think the one thing holding him back is that he might split votes with, with Justin Fields because there are a lot of people who really don't pay attention to a ton of college football. And if they do understand it, they don't want to put two players from the same team on their ballot. And then you also have quarterbacks elsewhere. I mean, uh, let's be honest, Jalen Hurts has had a great year. Tuba Hubbard's had a great year. Um, you know, there are guys outside of that of that discussion that uh, could could hurt him as well. But I'll be honest. I mean, when you're talking about the most dominant player in college football, uh, the most dominant, it's it's probably Chase Young. All right, I've got another regular season game that doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm telling you, it doesn't matter for LSU. They're a 17-point favorite playing at home against probably the best four-loss team in Texas A&M, according to who they've lost to. And they played pretty tough. I almost feel like Texas A&M, but I really thought last week was the opportunity for them to get their signature win and maybe kind of find it. I don't think they find it this week. And I think LSU, maybe that dropping to two kind of is the extra added motivation that helps their defense play a little bit stronger for an entirety of a game. I think LSU has too much firepower, and I don't know if Texas A&M offensively can put up enough points to keep it within the spread. So I'm going to say LSU. I'm going to say lay the 17 with LSU. What side are you falling on this one? I'm going to grab the 17 just because I think Texas A&M's defense is playing relatively better lately. Um, but you're right. I mean, A&M can't run the football. I mean, against good teams. I've seen A&M three, four times this year. They can't run the football against good teams. They can't run the football against average teams. So, um, yeah, that's a problem. I'd still grab the points just because I do think that uh, A&M's defense is, is very, very underrated. They, they do, um, you know, a little bit to keep them in games. And then also on top of that, there is not a better garbage time quarterback in the country than Kellen Mond. I mean, that guy has like backdoor cover written all over him. He, he pads his stats when when garbage time comes. So uh, I, because of those things, I'd take Texas A&M uh, to, to at least keep it relatively close. I, I would watch out for that backdoor cover, like I said. Uh, but this game does matter, DK. If LSU loses and they lose to Georgia, they're out. I mean, I don't I mean, I don't see how you could. <laughs> how you could keep them in. So, like I said, uh, I am regular season matters. I, I'm 100% on board with that, but I'm more uh, of the belief that the mystery and the unknown of college football is what makes it great because right now you can say, and you'd be right, this game doesn't matter. But this time next week or so Selection Sunday, you can look back and say, dang, that game mattered a lot. LSU's sitting at home now. Agree to disagree. All right, moving on. You, Clemson. Can't, you can't dispute that point, though. <laughs> no, no I, I could. I could absolutely do it. I, we, we don't have time for that. All right, Clemson plays South Carolina as a 27-point favorite. When Georgia was beaten by South Carolina, they were a 24-point favorite. 
Clemson's been the hottest team in the country against lower competition. This might be one of their bigger tests <laughs> against a South Carolina team not that is not that good. Uh, I think South Carolina will put up some fight. It's a rivalry game. I think this this number is a massive number. I think Clemson is still one of the best teams in the country, but I could see it being around a 24-point game around there. So I'm going to say South Carolina covers because of their defense slowing down Clemson a little bit on the back end. What do you think? I don't think so, man. man. I, don't, I don't think I don't think anybody can stop that Clemson offense. I and I mean that that team. I know they still sort of get docked for playing North Carolina close. They've been absolutely destroying teams lately. Uh, Travis Etienne's been awesome, and those receivers, man. Trevor Lawrence. I don't think Trevor Lawrence has had a turnover in like what two months. Um, so I, I just South Carolina's defense is not going to have enough to slow down that offense. And and I know that that yeah they've got some decent weapons. The Gamecocks do Brian Edwards and that running game's okay. That offensive line isn't. And <laughs> this defensive front for Clemson, it's crazy to think they lost all that NFL firepower and yet they're better than they were <laughs> last year in all aspects of their defense. So uh, I don't see it happening. I think if if it does happen. It would be because Clemson takes its foot off the gas relatively early. And I, you know, honestly, I, I don't see Dabo Sweeney doing that because as, as much as Dabo Sweeney plays the aw shucks, little old Clemson card all the time, uh, he, he does take this game seriously. Uh, you know, we've seen that throughout the course of his 10, 12 years there that uh, he, he does not mind uh, making South Carolina look terrible, especially after last season when Jake Bentley threw for like 7,000 yards against that good Clemson defense, I think they'll want to make a statement. I I would love to see a scenario to see what the committee would do. If, let's say Trevor Lawrence throws three picks, two of them bounce off receivers' hands or they run the wrong route and they miss a field goal to win it and they lose to South Carolina. <laughs> and then for Georgia to beat LSU with their only loss being to South Carolina – and Clemson went on to win the ACC, what would the committee do? Like, would they keep out Clemson and say that's an awful loss and then put in Georgia because in, and they lost it? Like, I think that would be a fascinating – I don't think it happens. Again, wasted breath on hypotheticals we don't <laughs> think would happen. But I think that would be a crazy scenario that I would love to see what the committee would do. All right, let's finish yep. it off with the Iron Bowl. Uh, Alabama goes to Auburn with Mac Jones, backup quarterback. We all know what happened to Tua Tonga-Valoa against an Auburn team which has one of the better defenses in the SEC and maybe even the country. But, man, has it been a struggle for Bo Nix, who has, you know, he's a true freshman. We get it. But Gus Malzahn has taken a lot of heat for some of their play calling. I think Auburn pulls it off. I think they win the game outright at home. We haven't seen Mac Jones in a situation, in a hostile environment like this, when you need him to perform. And I know he has a lot of weapons, but I think Auburn's going to get it done. Are you with me? I think you're out of your dang mind. <laughs> I right. think you're out of your dang mind. Because, look, I mean, Auburn's defense is – I mean, Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson, and that's unfair. I mean, it's unbelievable how good those guys are. The problem is, against Alabama's offense, I don't know what their impact really is going to be because we've seen with Mac Jones that it's essentially the same kind of stuff they've been running with Tua Tonga-Vailoa. It's slants. It's receivers out of the backfield. It's tunnel screens. It's three-step drops. It's RPOs that are quick and – you know, I, it, that limits what those guys can do uh, up front for Auburn. So when you combine that with the fact that we, we've seen Jerry Judy and Devontae Smith and Henry Ruggs and that crew, you know, turn five-yard passes into 65-yard touchdowns consistently, I just, I, to me, I think even though Auburn's defense is great, the secondary, they take a ton of risks. They've done that all year long, really two years. They've taken a ton of risks. They live and die like that. 
that's not going to fly against this Alabama receiving course. So I actually think Alabama's going to put up north of 30 and say, Bo Nix, come beat us, son. And the way Gus Malzahn calls plays, how predictable he is, and and how erratic Bo Nix has been, I just don't see that happening. So, you know, the Iron Bowl typically it's kind of sluggish, kind of ugly early. I think it might be, but in the end, you're going to see that wide receiving core make a couple plays late. And I tell you what, Alabama wins by double digits. Whoa, I will say this. That ain't Western Carolina out there. And that offense might have looked the same against Western Carolina. What happened against Mississippi State? Three points in the second half. This team is not the same without Tua. But we'll Auburn's offense happens. is probably comparable yeah. to <laughs> yes. Western Carolina. But, Auburn, but Auburn's, or excuse me, Alabama's defense isn't as dominant as True. it's been in years past True. and improving. Should be fun. But in any case, it'll be uh, it'll live up to the hype, no doubt about it. All right, Barrett, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, have a great Thanksgiving. Enjoy the family. Enjoy the football, man. Appreciate the time. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome back to Canel and Bell as we continue on our Thanksgiving special. It is the day before Thanksgiving, so we might as well call it that. We might as well make it a thing. But let's get our guy Emery Hunt in here to help us with the NFL as there's some matchups, I guess that's the only way you could describe them. They're not the best matchups uh, when you look at Thanksgiving games is how they could unfold. But hey, it's football. We'll take it. Emery, how's it going, man? Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, man. It's going great, man. Got the fried turkey on deck, ready to go. I still have yet to try fried turkey. I've heard all about it. Like, I got I to gotta find somebody because I don't want to do it myself. I'd end up, like, blowing up my house or something. But I need <laughs> to try a fried turkey because I heard they're incredible. So that's gonna maybe I'll make that my mission this year. Find somebody in my neighborhood. Find somewhere where I can get a fried turkey and try it uh, so I can get it. Because I heard it's all the I heard that's the only way to go as far as it goes to turkey. All right. Let's get to the games. Thanksgiving Day games. Let's start with those. You got the Bears against the Lions. It is a crappy matchup. The Bears have been struggling. They've been underwhelming. So have the Lions. They haven't been exactly great either, especially since losing Matthew Stafford. Their season has really imploded. The Bears are a three-point favorite in Detroit. Who do you like in, in this spot? Yeah, good thing this is the first game while everyone is still <laughs> cooking. So you get that one out the way. So I look at the defense in this game. I think both defenses are really good. But you have to trust the Bears defense to get the, the nod and get the win. So lay those three points with Chicago. It may even be just three nothing. So just go with the Bears in this ballgame. Feel safe with that one. Yeah, I think there could be issues with Driscoll, too, as well for Detroit. So they might have really significant problems at the quarterback position. So I would lean with the Bears as well, laying the three, even though it is on the road. All right. The Cowboys find themselves, you know, Jerry Jones put a lot of heat on Jason Garrett. They find themselves playing the Bills at home. This is probably the most entertaining game uh, of the day because it has the star. It has the brand. It's got a lot of pressure. I think this is a must-win game for the Cowboys. And yet the Bills, I think they'll have enough to keep this within the six-and-a-half-point spread. Are you with me, or do you think Dak and Zeke and company get the ball rolling after a less-than-impressive performance on the road in New England? 
I think I'm going to roll with the Cowboys to get the cover and lay those points with Dallas. This is also a statement game for Buffalo because a lot of people are questioning their winning record against teams that haven't been as good this season. But you can only play who's on the schedule. But I just think in this ball game, because I don't trust uh, Buffalo's offense consistently to move the football, I think Dak and the Cowboys will take advantage of those added possessions and get enough points to cover and also win a game. All right, in the late game, you've got the Saints are going on the road to a Falcons team that's been playing a little bit better as of late. Uh, the, touch, uh, the Saints are a touchdown favorite in this one. Who do, what do you think here as far as the Falcons? Do you get much of a fight from them? I would have said take the Falcons and the points, but they showed last week in that blowout loss to the, to the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers that maybe those two weeks were just enough. They, they were the aberration, and what we're going to see from them is what we saw from them for the most part of the season. So with that being the backdrop, just lay the points with New Orleans. I know revenge is, a, is best served cold, so they're going to take advantage of Atlanta on Thanksgiving. What a great way to win uh, in Thanksgiving with, you know, freaking see turkey out there on, on the field. Yeah, I think so too. I'm going to take the Saints too and lay those points to the touchdown uh, as well. All right, the Browns and Steelers. I think the last thing you're going to see out of this game is another fight. Like I think the NFL, by all those fines they doled out, Emery, I think they have every team's going to be warned at the start of the game. You're going to get tossed. You're going to get ejected if we see anything. So I don't think you're going to see the drama that maybe some fans will tune in for. Uh, you do have a new quarterback. Uh, they're going back to Hodges for the Steelers. The Browns are laying two on the road. I kind of like Cleveland. They're a team that still has this talent. They still beat them last time, 21-7. And granted, Mason Rudolph threw four picks, so that didn't exactly help them. But I still think the Browns are a team that when they're kind of invested, when they're focused, and when they're kind of all on the same page, I think they're doing a better job of lately. I think they're the significantly better team, although Mike Tomlin's done an outstanding job with the Steelers team. I'm going to lay the two points with the Browns. What about you? I'm going with you. I'm laying those points with the Browns. And for all the reasons you mentioned, this offense is hard to ignore the talent in the backfield out on a perimeter and what they do when they're all in sync. We saw this the last couple of weeks with Cleveland. Their offense is on fire right now defensively. I want to see more Joe Schobert at tight end because he's all, all, all he's doing is catching interceptions uh, for the Browns. And I think when you have a Devlin Hodges at quarterback, the offense will look watchable, but it still won't be enough to overcome that Browns defense. So lay those points with Cleveland. The story of the season has easily been Lamar Jackson, the emergence of him as a a weapon at the quarterback position, however you want to describe him, whether he's running the football, whether he's throwing for five touchdowns like he did um, this past weekend. But every single time we look at him, I think people are like, well, he's going to get tested again. He's already been tested by the Patriots and passed. He got tested by you know the Texans and blew them out. He got Texan, uh, tested by the Rams on the road in L.A., you know, passed with flying colors. I don't know what more we need to see. Uh, the 49ers defense is awesome. I don't know if there's a defense that I've seen that can slow down Lamar Jackson or stop him. I think maybe you can slow him down. I don't think this weekend's going to be any different. They are laying six, which is a pretty big number. But cross country for the 49ers, I think the Ravens are the best team in football right now. And I think they'll make an emphatic statement win yet again against the 49ers. How about you? Totally agree with you for all the reasons. Once again, you laid it out perfectly. And I think people are looking at this from a different angle. How about they take this angle? Talk about the opposing team's offense trying to score against this Ravens defense against the fact that they're going to get less possession because of how great the Ravens offense has been as far as moving the football down the field, being efficient and effective inside the red zone scoring points. It's all about the other team's offense. Can they score? And this defense to me 
is going to be very similar to Jimmy Garoppolo as well as the Seattle Seahawks defense. So I don't think San Francisco's offense will have success against the defense of the Ravens. So lay all those points with Baltimore. All right, the next game, I'm very curious to get your take. I'm sort of looking at this game as an avoid, like don't touch it. The Raiders were abysmal last weekend. Now, I thought it was a game they were going to win against the Jets. The Jets got everything going, you know, end up blowing out the Raiders. Now the Raiders have to take their show on the road against the Chiefs. So there's a massive number. The Chiefs are, you know, a 10-point favorite. This, to me, I don't want to touch it. I'm nervous because I think the Raiders could bounce back after a rough performance and play the Chiefs pretty tough. But at the same point, I'm like, man, maybe this Raiders team just isn't that good. I am scared to touch this one. What would you do if you're going to put something on it? I would lay the points with Kansas City for two reasons. Number one, Andy Reid off of bye weeks, are he's outstanding, probably the best coach coming off of a bye. And they had a big win the last time we saw them play down there in Mexico City against the Chargers. So I think they can do a great job in adjusting and creating a game plan to knock out Oakland. Also, their, their defense reminds me a lot of the Cowboys' offense. When you look at them individually, like, man, this is a very talented defense. They just haven't been able to put it together consistently. And we saw that against the Chargers. They got better. They started to turn the ball over. I think we'll see the better version of the Chiefs' defense against Oakland. So I would feel comfortable laying that 9.5 with the Chiefs. All right, the Patriots go on the road to Houston to take on the Texans. The Texans, 7-4. and four. They've been a little bit up and down. They did have the really ugly performance against uh, the Ravens on the road there. Where I, was, I thought both quarterbacks were going to go toe-to-toe with each other. Clearly, Deshaun Watson faced a lot more pressure. They come up massively short in that game. They get back on track with a win against the Colts this past weekend. New England has been probably the most criticized one-loss team maybe in the history of the NFL, but I think it's deserved, right? Their offense is really sputtering, but that defense is so tough. New England as the three-point favorite. I'm going to say the Tech. I'm going to I like the Texans as the home dog, that field goal dog. I think the Texans will win this game outright. I think sooner or later the Patriots offensive issues are going to catch up to them, and I think this is the type of game that it would. Absolutely. I agree with you. Lay those points with Houston, you talk about the passing game of the Texans. They were touchdown to check down, so they have no fear in attacking the secondary deep down the field. And that's a great thing to have because it's like the Mike Tyson effect. You can't allow yourself to get beat before the game even starts or before the fight even starts. And I don't think the Texans have any fear in facing the New England Patriots. We've seen Deshaun Watson do his thing against this defense before. The question is, can their defense get stops? But this is a different Patriots offense that has been ineffective. I like the Texans to win this one outright as well. All right, I think Lamar Jackson's going to win the MVP, you know, barring just a complete meltdown. I think Russell Wilson's going to come in second, and I think my man Kirk Cousins is going to come in third. I took him as a flyer, Emery, at the beginning of the season. Just felt like he's always around the top 10 of the NFL statistically, and if the Vikings could catch a season where they went 12-4, and 13-3, and three, he would get a lot of the credit. Now, the team goes through Dalvin Cook, let's be honest, and Kirk Cousins you know, is the beneficiary of a lot of stats because they're able to run the ball so well. I think this is a tough spot for Seattle. I think Minnesota is going to go on the road and get a win against Seattle, whose schedule on the back end really is tough. And I think Dalvin Cook is going to impress, and I think Kirk Cousins is going to continue to silence his critics. Are you with me, or do you like the 12th man there in Seattle? Love the 12th man here, but I agree with your Kirk Cousins take. I've been talking a lot of trash about Kirk Cousins for for quite some time, but this season, especially the last four games, he's been playing his best football of his career. So I wouldn't be upset if he was in the running for MVP because he's definitely earned it with his play the back half of the season. But I don't see them putting together four quarters of consistent play against the Seahawks defense. And on the other side of the field, you have 
who will finish second in the MVP voting in Russell Wilson. I just think Russell Wilson and his big game experience will be the reason why they knock out the, the Vikings. All right, let's uh that's our that's our wrap for our picks. Let's move on to a little early look at the NFL draft because it's never too early to get some mock drafts together and do some positional rankings. You know the running backs more than anybody else out there probably. You study their film very closely. Who do you have as the top rated back coming out of college football for the NFL draft? For me, number one is DeAndre Swift out of Georgia. I think he has all of the elements that you want in a tailback. He has great vision. His acceleration is second to none. He has the ability to hit the home run from anywhere on the field. And he's a great receiver out of the backfield. So when you want the complete package, I'm not going to say he's just like LT, but his game is very similar to LT. He has a lot of those LT traits. So I would definitely feel comfortable taking a guy like Swift in the first round. To me, he's the best back in the country. Yeah, I love a back that can make plays out of the backfield, and Georgia really utilizes him there with Jake Fromm, who's not exactly the, you know, they're not throwing it around 50 times again, but they work the screen game, they work the uh, short option game with him coming out of the backfield really to perfection, and he is a weapon that I think a lot of NFL teams are going to see a lot of value in uh, when he comes out of Georgia. Jonathan Taylor has had, you know, a record-breaking career at the University of Wisconsin. And sometimes you see record-setting guys. They don't translate to the NFL. I think he does. Is he your next behind DeAndre Swift? And how much of a gap do you think there is between those two? I think he's a first-round talent. So, yeah, he is my number two right now. And you look at what he brings to the table, the vision, the contact balance, the power. And quietly, he has that home run hitting speed. I think when you look at him, people will try to put him in the box with guys like A.J. Dillon out of Boston College or even maybe a Jordan Howard if you want to project to the NFL. But he has what those guys don't have. He has the ability to hit the home run. And we start to see more from the passing game element of his skill set this season, which bodes well for his chances moving forward. So if you're looking for a foundation back, I think an ideal fit for him would be the Miami Dolphins, somebody they can lean on and one that can definitely carry the mail. He did so throughout the course of his career at Wisconsin. I feel like Clemson as a whole, the whole team is just flying under the radar. I still think they're probably the best team in college football. They just haven't been tested, and we've kind of forgotten about them. And they have some incredible NFL talent on their roster, including their running back, Travis Etienne. Where do you see him maybe slotted in the draft? I think he's in that second-round range, and you look at legitimate home run hitting speed. He's so fast when he scores, he hits the back of the end zone. That's how fast he's running. And when you have someone like that, like a Marlon Mack, like a Tevin Coleman, like all those other backs in San Francisco, that home run hitting speed like that, that's a quick slasher, one cut downhill and he's gone. That's the type of guy that you can see working in a tandem at the next level and could be a legitimate guy that can average five and a half to six yards of carry. I think he's a tremendous player and I'm glad he's getting his just due this season. Emery, awesome stuff as always. We'll have to do a lot more of this as we get closer to the draft and the NFL offseason. Start of looking at some of these college players. Thanks for the time, man. Have a great Thanksgiving, all right? Welcome back to the show. Uh, Luka Doncic has taken the NBA by storm. I mean, he had the rookie of the year uh, season last year. This year, he's second in the MVP race, according to most sports books. He's been phenomenal. Dropped 41 on Sunday while the NFL was happening, so it kind of flew into the radar. But a little bit of a... Uh, not a back to reality, just a team that defended him really well in the Clippers who held him to 22 points, which I think speaks of just how great Luka is playing. When you hold him to 22, you see that as a really successful outing. And he was 4-14 from the floor. He was 0 for 8 from the three-point line. So clearly the Clippers had a plan there to shut him down. The Clippers are now 4-0 when Kawhi and Paul George are in the lineup. And maybe the best-kept secret was something that Paul George talked about after the game. When he was talking about their team, he said, yeah, our offense still has a ways to go. and We're figuring out things, and we're going to be fine offensively. 
But what makes this Clippers team special and scary, in his words, are the defense. So I, I got a question for you, Joey. Like, is that is that something? Because I think when you look at the greater teams, the teams that have won championships, as much as we talk about the Golden State Warriors as, hey, the Splash Brothers and shooting a lot of threes, they still were really, really good defensively, where maybe that's something that we overlook. But when you're looking at the big picture, it's something that matters just as much, if not ever, when you're looking at both sides of the court and what you have to do. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit it right there. I mean, the Warriors were top two or three in defensive rating basically every year that they went to the finals, top five, they were one of the best defensive teams in the league. So that's a, it's a key thing. And I think, but what you see with championship level teams is balance in those off. We used to use offense and defensive rating as the keys big for everything in Charlotte when I worked for Steve Clifford. And we, we studied it, we looked at it and teams that are 10 in both are generally teams that can go to the playoffs and make it deep in the playoffs. If you're pushing top five in both, you're a championship level team. They're pushing top five in both after struggling big time offensively early and defensively a little bit earlier in the year for what people expected. They're now fifth in net rating. And I think, yeah, I think last night sort of shows you what this team, I mean, the Mavericks right now have the best offensive rating in NBA history. And huh. and they held them to 99 points last night. And these guys have only played together four times. So it it, it kind of shows you really what people thought this team could be. It, it may actually be that good, especially defensively, but then they combine for 54 points. Lou Will gives you his 20 off the bench. They're not even clicking yet. It's a scary thought of what they could end up being. Are you? Uh, what are you seeing out of Kawhi Leonard? Because Kawhi Leonard, I think I was a little bit more worried, hey, maybe this is more significant than just load management. This is actually an injury issue. They've been letting in his minutes. He's just played exactly 28 minutes in his last three games uh, for the Clippers. Are you, are you concerned at all about his health, or do you think this is just sticking to the plan? It is what it is. I, I've never – I don't know. It, it's really – he's so hard to peg because I was, I was with you when we talked about it, you know, uh, last week. I was thinking, you know, you sit three games, it's not load management. There's something going on. And even the next game when he came back, he looked a little slow, but then he has a game like last night, and he looks fine. So, you know, maybe it really is just a game-by-game thing with him. Maybe there is something, and maybe some games he's going to feel better than others. And maybe there really is that chance, to me, that I'm at least starting to come to the conclusion that, look, last year he played 60 games, then he played the most minutes ever in the playoffs and won a championship. So I'm thinking, hey, maybe Kawhi has in his mind 60 games is the amount of games I'm going to play, and I'm going to be fresh for the playoffs, and I'm going to keep winning titles, and I don't care what anybody thinks. And it's, maybe that's just part of the plan. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch on the back end of this schedule what exactly happens. And if they're in a position where they're outside of that top four or five as far as the seedings go towards the back end of the season, does he all of a sudden play more? Or are they not even cared about it that much where they're like, hey, we don't even care if we have a home court advantage throughout or you know, if we're winning one of those spots, but what do they do on the back end? Are they still going to take the same approach? Hey, we're going to rest them no matter what, and we'll go win on the road, we'll win wherever you want? It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I don't, watch I, don't, I, don't, no, I don't know, but my guess would be home court advantage doesn't matter a ton to them because they don't have one. Right. Um, right. You know, I was watching the Boston game last week, and there was a ton of Boston fans. Like, it was loaded. They were loud. You could hear them. Um, and you saw in that first game of the season when Kawhi tried to talk, they they booed him. Like, And think about it. The odds are, even if you get home court advantage, there's a really good chance you're going to be playing that home court advantage against the Lakers in the playoffs. Right. And right. that's not a home game. So you no. have seven games where the Lakers are the home team. So, 
yeah, I mean, if it's a matter of getting home court advantage here and there, it's better to play more at home because you get to be in your own bed and you get the rest and all that stuff. But I don't think they would play him more just to get home court advantage at the expense of him being healthy and fresh in the playoffs. So the majority of the NBA storylines have been out of the Western Conference. Uh, you know, just the superstars that are out there, the better teams are out there, and clearly there's a disparity. But there is an interesting storyline that's unfolding in the Eastern Conference with the Brooklyn Nets. As Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant both signed there, they're going to make this super team. But, of course, we're waiting on Kevin Durant to get healthy after that Achilles injury. And now that Kyrie's been banged up, you've seen a little bit of a trend start to unfold that I think might be a little bit misleading and it might be a little bit unfair to Kyrie Irving because the Brooklyn Nets are now 5-1 and one without Kyrie. They're 4-7 and seven with Kyrie. Spencer Dinwiddie's been a big uh, part of the reason why they've been winning. He's averaging 24.7 over the last six games. Joey, I think this is more about chemistry, continuity. He's a new player thrown into that mix where when he is on the court, it's still just figuring out who the ball is going to go through offensively. How do you balance that? And some guys type it might tiptoe around that as you're getting things ironed out as far as it pertains to some of those ins and outs of the game. Where I think if you just looked at this from the from the uh, from the from the perspective, of, oh, they must be better without Kyrie. I don't think that's a very smart take. Do you? Um, it's hard. No, I I, I don't. Well. No, I don't think they're probably not overall a better team. But I will say, you know, the offense isn't really the issue with Kyrie. It, it, when you look, when this, the way the stats are bearing it out, right? Like, what they miss with Kyrie, what Kyrie's great at is he's one of the best scorers in the league. There's no question. And you just said it, Spencer Dinwiddie's averaging 25 a game since Kyrie went out. So what they miss from Kyrie, they're getting in Dinwiddie. Not that Dinwiddie is Kyrie. But what they were with Kyrie on the floor was an atrocious defensive team. I mean, they were 27th in the league in defensive rating before he got hurt. They're up to now 20th, but excuse me, now they're up to 17th on the season, but they're 8th in this stretch in defensive rating. Their defense has picked up without Kyrie on the floor. And I will tell you this, he's a bad defender. He's always been a bad defender. And that's just known. And there's not a lot of great defenders out there, but... I think what you're seeing is these guys are used these guys are used to playing defense together on the floor without Kyrie from last year and that's what's starting to pick up. They're gaining more confidence on that end without him and I'm not really sure that having him there is going to make that better. The offense I think will always figure it out when you have somebody that talented, but my concern with them would be on the defensive and if they're that much better without him on the floor. Yeah, it could be an interesting uh dynamic that unfolds sort of the you know as the season progresses because it was a failure in Boston and now if you move on to Brooklyn and the team's performing that much better then the pressure is going to build on Kyrie who clearly didn't respond to some of that criticism in Boston when you know the media and critics were looking at him saying hey you know why isn't this team of performing up to the standard that they had before you got there and if the same thing unfolds in Brooklyn until KD gets back a lot of that criticism is going to be squarely on Kyrie when he's healthy uh, I think that could be an interesting dynamic to see how he handles that criticism which did, he didn't did you handle see well. uh did you see how um Kendrick Perkins trolled him no, no. what he said <laughs> he said that Kyrie planned this shoulder injury in the pre in the preseason so that he wouldn't have to play this game in Boston because he didn't want the smoke Ooh. from the old crowd <laughs> hey I wouldn't put it past anybody if he doesn't want that smoke maybe it is uh and now now Kyrie's gonna get asked about it he'll have to answer for it uh all right so I forget did you have the Rockets winning it all this year in our That's, preseason yes. picks if you could go back and get a mulligan would you swap it out uh, I hate no 
I, I'm sticking with them. I'm still going to stick with them. I think they can get it together, but the Lakers and the Clippers, yeah, I mean, the Lakers and the Clippers have clearly pulled away as right now the, the two best teams in the league. And I, I don't, I mean, maybe you can put Milwaukee in that conversation, but I'm not ready to t- put any East team there. They've won eight in a row, but it, it's tougher. Houston's got to get healthy. They're, they have health issues and depth issues when that happens. They they now more so than the other two teams, I think, need another piece. That Iguodala piece that we keep talking about, if they can figure out a make, way to make that deal, be huge for them. I'm not counting them. I'm not backing off of it yet, but it's getting closer and closer. Yeah, I think too it'll you know the defense like we were just talking we spent a lot of this segment talking about the defensive side of the ball. I think that could be always be that bugaboo that kind of Mike D'Antoni coached teams. There's so much of an offensive uh, premium that's put on the offensive side of the ball. And they've been better defensively, but I don't know if they're championship elite level type of defense. And as great as James Harden can be, ultimately I think the defense is what could be their downfall, which well, yeah, has been and, for the most part of their uh, tenure here. Yeah, and to that point, uh, and that was something that I actually you know didn't really take. Probably enough stock in when we were making these picks is Jeff Pizdelic has been their defensive coordinator, so to speak, these last few years, and he's been the reason why they've been a top ten defense, and he's in New Orleans now. Um, so it's a different, you know, D'Antoni obviously is not known as a defensive coach, so it's different now, and they're also playing different this year. You know, last year they were one of the low, like they had one of the lowest paces in the league. You see that the Russ impact has is there. They're they're one of the top pace teams in the league. Um, so they're playing a little different too than I expected them to, but with those two guys with Harden averaging close to 40 a game, I can't count them out of anything. So in the Eastern conference, you got the bucks, uh, the number one overall seed right now, sitting at 14 and three, you've got my Celtics, the team that I had coming out of the Eastern conference, which I think some people said, yeah, that's a long shot, but I don't think anybody saw what the Miami heat are doing at this point. They're at the second overall seed at 12 and four playing a bunch of young guys. We've documented a lot of some of their rookies on the team that are playing outstanding. Is this sustainable though, for either one for the heat or the Celtics? Um, I think it's probably more. I think the Celtics have a higher ceiling this year. Uh, they have just uh, they're more talented all around. And when Gordon Hayward comes back, if he can get back to what he was doing, that'll help. Um, I don't think the Heat are winning the East. I think it's sustainable for them to be a top four team. I think it's really impressive what Jimmy Butler's done. People killed him in the offseason saying he says he wants to win, but he's going to Miami. Why is he going to Miami? Well, he's gone to Miami. He's only averaging 19 a game, but they're winning games, and he's taking a backseat to guys like Kendrick Nunn and Tyler Hero on nights. He's been a great leader for them, and he's doing. And another guy on that team that's going really under un, unnoticed is Bam Adebayo. He's one of four players in the NBA right now, averaging 14 points, 10 rebounds, and four assists. The other three are Luka, Giannis, and Nikola Jokic. That's wow. pretty good company, and not, people aren't really know. They have a talented young team. They could be a top four team in the East, no doubt. But I don't think they're they're winning the East by any stretch. Yeah, it's one of those things where everybody will look at the point this season, almost the quarter point, uh, you know, of the season where everybody's going to look and say, "Well, it's still early. Let them go." You have to sustain it. If you're that kind of surprise team, you got to uh, sustain it over the course of the season for people to take you seriously. So it'll be something interesting to watch for the NBA as we're looking for storylines out of the Eastern Conference because most things, most of the action is taking place in the West, but there are some pretty interesting uh, stories to come out of the Eastern Conference. All right. All right, welcome back to Canel and Bell. So I thought we'd have some fun. It's Thanksgiving tomorrow. We'll do a little power ranking. So I'm going to view this. I'm going to do this, Joey, like a discussion around the college football playoff, right? It's the four. Who's in? And then the next two, like who's on the spot? Who's on the bubble for that four spot? So I'm going to do Thanksgiving foods. As a whole, I think Thanksgiving is overrated. I would never order turkey 
any other night of the year. I would never even want turkey as like a whole stuffed turkey for a meal any other time than Thanksgiving. From that standpoint, I think it's overrated. But I do think there is some value in the side dishes. So I'm going to give you my power rankings of turkey options, excuse me, Thanksgiving options around Thanksgiving dinner. So my number one seed, mac and cheese. It's a staple. You could eat the whole thing as a meal by itself. If you don't like turkey, it's filling. And you just, there's some little subtleties of changes, tweaks you can make around Thanksgiving to a mac and cheese dish that add a little umph into it. So I'm going to go with mac and cheese, my number one dish on Thanksgiving. Two, cream of corn. Another one. My mom makes a cream of corn. It's a corn like dish that you can go, has a lot of sugar in it. It's a little bit more creamier and it is absolutely out of this world. Three, cornbread. You know, don't go, don't go for like the rolls in there. Cornbread at Thanksgiving is a staple. That's why it's a solid number three in there. Coming in at four, and this is debatable because I'm not a big turkey guy, but you need some sort of protein. I don't like the ham. Ham's on the outside looking in. I'm going to go with a little beef tenderloin, which is outside the box, but it is a family tradition, my family, to have a little beef tenderloin at Thanksgiving dinner. Joey, what do you have a problem with my beef tenderloin tank? Two corn dishes and beef tenderloin? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Hey, it's my final four. I can put them right there. Just on the outside looking in. You got 30 seconds. A green bean casserole on the outside looking in. And then a distant sixth. I would have to put either asparagus or some other type of veggie dish there. But turkey Why do you is hate not even potatoes? in my top six. Why do you hate mashed, mashed potatoes? Mashed potatoes are bland. Why? They're so bland. You know bland. what you got me with mac and cheese? I totally forgot. I got your mac and cheese. The rest, I'm a little, I'm a little floored. Yeah, mac and cheese, I think, is a solid number one that has the resume. It has the strength of schedule. It has everything going in its favor. In any case, enjoy your Thanksgiving. Have a great one. Enjoy the friends, family, and football. See ya. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.